Uh, my name is Gus Burns. I'm trying to find Sabrina Sharp. Happier. Um, well, I don't know. You probably recognize my name. I was doing a story about Brianna Sharp. Okay. That voice you heard as the episode opened was that of Sabrina Sharp, Brianna's mother. As you've listened to this podcast, you might have noticed something is missing. Interviews with the adults who lived with 13-year-old Brianna Sharp in Detroit when she disappeared back in 2008. Their absence is not from a lack of trying. As Gus has worked for years to tell Brianna's story, he has made numerous attempts to get in touch with Sabrina, as well as her then-boyfriend, Damien Henderson. He also asked relatives for a phone number for Brianna's grandmother, Sabrina's mother, Cynthia Sharp, but he was told she was now in a nursing home and he was denied contact information. During these years, Gus has hand-delivered letters to numerous addresses, knocked on doors, he's sent emails, social media messages, and he's requested interviews through family members. While attempting to track down Damien Henderson, Gus found an address and knocked on the door. A young girl who Gus estimates was between 11 and 14 years old answered the door. She said Damien wasn't there. Gus handed her a letter to pass along to Damien with his card and contact info. Gus never heard back. Gus actually did find Sabrina at her job at a police impound yard in Detroit. That's the audio you heard at the top of the episode. And while Gus asked her to reach out, leaving his info for her, Brianna's mom has never responded to the request. Today's episode is the last in our four-part season about Brianna. As with the other episodes, this story does include graphic content, including explicit language and discussions of violence and suicide. It was the police, and they asked for my mom. And I'm like, uh, she's not here. But then I saw they had the guns out, and they had the whole... I seen them walking around to the side of the house, and I was like, holy... Sh sure. I was like, um... They're like, she'll be right back, just go. Um, We just want to talk to her, she'll be right back. And I was like, hold on. Because they're like, we're going to come in. I was like, hold on. I shut the door. And I went downstairs. She was in the basement. Her room was always in the basement. And she's like, I'm like, Mom, the police is outside. And they got guns, and it's a lot of them. And they got the street blocked off. And she's like, she's just looking so, like, stunned. And I was like, well, what happened? What did you do? So I'm like, come on, you got to come upstairs, because she's just sitting there. Like, you know, shocked. I'm like, come on, you have to come upstairs. You got to talk to them. So I finally get her to come upstairs. And um, at that time... I guess they had opened the door already because they were standing in the living room and they handcuffed her in the kitchen and they was like, um, she'll be back, don't worry. But she didn't say anything to me. And I was like, so I had so many questions. I'm like, mom, like, what's going on? I'm outside, you know, in the car, just like, you know, what did you do? Anything? You can't think of anything that they would be here for because it's a lot of them. And I was just so confused. That's Brianna's sister, Deja, recalling what happened soon after the DNA results came back confirming that Jane Doe, buried in an unmarked suburban Detroit grave, was actually her sister. It turns out police were arresting Sabrina on an eight-year-old warrant connected to a marijuana case. It was quite the show of force for a nonviolent drug crime. Sabrina was cuffed and taken to the East Point Police Department for questioning, but the questions didn't have anything to do with cannabis. Michigan State Police Detective Sarah Krebs interrogated Sabrina about Brianna. Sabrina again said she'd spoken to her daughter since the date police now knew Brianna was already dead. When asked why she didn't report Brianna missing, Sabrina said she had, something she insisted during subsequent interviews. 
Sabrina said she called Detroit police and remembers two officers coming to her home, but Krebs had already checked. There was no record of a missing persons report. None of her family members who spoke to me ever remember police coming to the home to take a report. Then Krebs dropped the bomb. Your daughter isn't missing. She's dead. Krebs wrote in her report, quote, I then advised Sabrina that Brianna had been found deceased on August 6, 2008. Sabrina cried for several minutes before I brought up the obvious deception regarding her getting a phone call from her deceased child, unquote. Sabrina's demeanor reportedly changed from sad to defensive. The following day, while Sabrina remained in jail, Krebs returned to the family home and interviewed Cynthia Sharp, who is Sabrina's mother, Brianna's grandmother, and Deja, Brianna's sister, who at the time was 16. They left because that was it. Because I was excited, like, oh my God, where's she at? Let's go pick her up. Didn't even register in my head that she's not here with them, so something is not wrong. I was just so excited that they were talking to me about her because I haven't heard anybody talk about her in sorry, four years. So I was like, so I went in there and my grandma I was like, so what they tell you? And she had the face of no care in the world. She was like, she did. She didn't say it with no type of compassion. She's just like, she did. And I was like, what? What do you mean she did? Police forwarded the case to Child Protective Services and a possible neglect claim was open based on Sabrina's failure to report her daughter missing and the suspected lies that followed. Child Protective Services records summarize what Krebs told CPS workers about the reaction to Brianna's death when she notified Sabrina and Cynthia. The report says, quote, The mother and grandmother had no reaction and acted as if they didn't care. She said the natural mother shed a few tears and the grandmother lit a cigarette and began to list all the negative behaviors of Brianna, unquote. According to the report, the family said Brianna dressed and acted like a boy and would tape her breasts so it would look like she didn't have breasts. The grandmother made it very well known that she had a problem with it. She said Brianna liked girls. Krebs told CPS the family moved several times since Brianna vanished and, quote, no one followed up with anyone or police to check in and see if Brianna was found and went on acting like she never existed, unquote. CPS was investigating to determine custody of the remaining four children in the home. CPS workers interviewed Damian Henderson, Sabrina's boyfriend at the time and the father of her youngest daughter. According to CPS interview notes, Damien said he and Sabrina broke up shortly after Brianna disappeared because Sabrina was depressed and wanted to be alone. But he said they continued an on-and-off-again relationship during the four years while Brianna was missing. While Damien described it as nothing serious, he lived in the home with Sabrina until 2012. Damien told CPS that Brianna was rebellious because she felt like her mom didn't love her and that's why she was sent to live with her dad in Texas. Damien said Brianna's attention-seeking efforts included wearing boys' clothes, stealing, and frequently running away. Damien also said Brianna lied to people around the neighborhood, at one point claiming Damien molested her and beat up her brothers. According to Damien's interview, Sabrina and her daughter, Deja, left Detroit to attend a wedding in Ohio about the time of Brianna's death. Brianna ran away and refused to come home while her mother was out of town, Damien Henderson said. The CPS report says Brianna, quote, called to see if her mom was home yet, and he told her that she wasn't. Brianna stated she is not coming back home until her mom gets home. That was the last conversation or contact that Damien had with Brianna. Unquote. Malika Sharps is the sister of Sabrina Sharp. When Brianna was having trouble with her family that summer, Malika offered to take care of Brianna for several weeks during that July of 2008, soon before she died. Here she is talking about how she learned about Brianna's death. And I happened to be in uh, West Virginia at the time, and my stepfather called me. He was like, uh, you need to come home. You need to get over here to your mama's house. I said, well, I ain't there. He said they found Brianna. So I was like, where was she at? Where was she at? He was like, no, girl, she gone. 
So then I'm thinking like, well, damn, where the fuck she been all this time? Now she dead. Malika rushed home to attend the child custody hearing. So we all sitting there. So, you know, I'm like, you know, what's, what, what's going on? Da, da, da. So the lady was like, uh, Sabrina. So now we all looking at Sabrina like, okay. So when the lady was like, so Sabrina, you want me to tell them? So she was like, well, I'm going to tell you. She was like, uh, first of all, Sabrina wants to admit that she never made the police report. I couldn't even control it no more. I just jumped over the table and I just was trying to just strangle the shit out of her. Like, literally, like, what do you mean you didn't make a police report? So now they done pulled me off, took me out. So they like, uh, is you kind enough to come back in? Because we can really call the police, but we understand you under duress and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of want to go back in because I want to know what's going on. So now they're saying, first they're saying that my niece supposedly had to hunt herself. I'm like... No fucking way. She wouldn't have hugged herself. She was on her way. She was excited to go to basketball camp. She knew she was about to have a, a sweet summer. While Detroit police quickly concluded Brianna's death was a suicide and long ago stopped their investigation, questions posed to the family members once Brianna was identified four years later indicate state police and CPS officials had a seat of doubt. The child placement hearing ended with the four kids being removed from Sabrina's custody. Leonard Cobb, Brianna's father, also took part in the meeting remotely from Texas via conference call. I called Sabrina as soon as the meeting was over. Now I'm hearing her cry. Oh my God, I can't believe I, I wanted to tell you. I, I wanted to tell you. That I just didn't know how to tell you that she was missing. I said, four years. Four years you hadn't talked to me. Now the first time after this meeting, I call you and you pick up the phone like it's nothing. Four effing years I've tried to call you and ask you what the hell was going on. And this is, well, I, I didn't know how to tell you that. I, and she's going on already. And, and the crying really started when she realized they were going to take her kids. That's when I felt it was real. Because at this point, they're going to take my kids away from me. I didn't have any empathy. I'm zero. The family dispersed and Damian Henderson broke it off with Sabrina Sharp, for good this time, moving away from the house with their mutual daughter and another of Sabrina's sons. They were together even after this happened, okay? So from 2008 until 2012, they didn't break up. They stayed together. Damien moved right with us. But the day that they came and said that Brianna was dead, that man was gone. He packed up his stuff. They took us the next day. This happened on the Tuesday. The Wednesday, we were being taken out of my mom's uh, custody. And that man was gone. He was gone. Deja, after a stint with an aunt, turned 17 and moved into an independent living foster care house. Brianna wasn't a hot topic of conversation within the family while she was missing or after. According to Damien's interview with CPS, there came a time when Brianna's name became, quote, like a curse word. Relatives find it unsettling that Sabrina never reported Brianna missing and furthermore claimed to have talked to Brianna during a time when we now know that Brianna was already dead. Here's Deja. Why would she lie and say that she seen her in 2012 when she had already been dead since 2008? Is I don't know. Just like she told me that she reported her missing and I find out nobody ever reported her missing. I don't know. I don't know why they why she would lie. In Malika Sharp's The Aunt. She was a concern, period. Your whole child went missing for months, for years, for nothing. You went vicariously on with your life like nothing ever happened. I was fucked up. I was drinking and everything. I was fucked up. This ain't even my child. This is my niece. I mean, you steady going out of town, doing you, partying. 
She 13. You didn't help us out here look. You ain't help us put on no flyers. Just nothing. You need to call the police. That was your main job right there. Several theories as to how Brianna may have died have formed over the years. Most of them are too loosely based to be responsibly shared. Detroit police appeared to be close to identifying Brianna, though they didn't know it, based on information they gathered from neighbors the night Brianna's body was discovered. A 40-year-old woman who lived in the apartment complex where Brianna was found said her daughters knew the dead girl. She went by the name Brian and dressed in boys' clothes, the woman told police. It's not clear how she linked this Brian to the dead body, but Brian is a name that relatives later told police Brianna sometimes used. The woman said Brian attended a party at her 15-year-old cousin's unit in the complex four days earlier, on the previous Saturday, which would have been August 2, 2008, a couple days after Brianna was last seen by her family. Police later spoke to the teen party host's 32-year-old mother. She said she, too, knew the dead teenage girl named Brian. The girl visited her son in their home that prior Friday, August 1st, but she didn't see Brian on the day of the party. The mother also told police the girl named Brian called her stepfather from their apartment, but he refused to let her come home. There's also a passing mention in the canvassing report to a man who used to hang around the area and seemed to be a person of interest. The police note said, quote, Pending the results of the autopsy, this may need to be looked into, unquote. The results of the autopsy, suicide with no signs of foul play, negated the need for any further police follow-up. There was no crime, according to police, and the duty to identify the dead person falls with the medical examiner's office under Michigan law. I asked Deja about some of the names that popped up in the canvassing notes. She remembers the man that police said they might want to follow up with. He was always a little creepy to me. I'm not going to lie. He was always a little creepy to me. One, he was much older than us. We were kids, young kids. He was much older than us. He seemed to be already a grown man. Deja said they first met this man at a park near their house one day. She remembers one time the trio walked to White Castle together and he bought Deja and Brianna lunch. According to Deja, this man mentioned in the police canvassing notes seemed to be more of a friend to Brianna than a threat but he is the only documented connection between Brianna and the Tuscan Park apartments where she died. Deja didn't know Brianna knew anyone who lived there. She said the two of them never went to the apartment complex together, although they did frequent nearby businesses. Deja seemed much more interested in the phone call noted by police that Brianna allegedly made to her stepfather. She believes it coincides with a strange call her mother received while Deja and Sabrina were attending a wedding in Ohio over that same weekend. Brianna was told she couldn't go to the wedding. Deja remembers the pain in Brianna's face as they drove away on July 31st, 2008, the last time Deja ever saw Brianna. She looked at me, and that is something that is just, is probably why I just can never let it go, because that look in her eyes was very, 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 very much like, ugh, I can't explain it. It was terrible. Like, looking back and knowing, like, them was, like her last moment here and how she how she felt, you know? She felt like, I know she felt betrayed and disappointed because that's how she looked. And um, I could tell her feelings was hurt and she sat there and watched us leave and I watched her just stand there. Like, she was just sitting there on the porch and I just could not wait to come back. Because I didn't want to be there. I felt like it was no purpose for me being there. Like, even to this day, I remember being at that wedding. Like, it was, I didn't have to do anything. I was just there. Like, it was so pointless for me to be there. So, my mom got a phone call, which is, I remember because I was sitting next to her. And it was about my sister because as soon as I heard her name, I was 
all into her conversation, but she wasn't letting me in to the conversation at all. And um, we got home maybe the next night or the following night in the middle of the night, and I woke up and she was not there. Deja said her mother was really vague about that conversation and wouldn't give her the phone. The way she remembers it, Brianna was in some sort of trouble. But Sabrina's boyfriend, Damian Henderson, and her grandma, Cynthia Sharp, weren't letting Brianna come home until Sabrina returned, which wouldn't be for a couple of days. So what mind boggles me is she said that she was in trouble. So what type of trouble was it? You know, like what type of trouble was it to the point she felt like, oh, I need to get in- into the house, into safety, and nobody, um, you know, like... I don't know if she got into it with somebody at the party. You don't know if they was following her. She was on foot. She was walking, so. And when Sabrina and Deja returned to Detroit from that wedding. Everybody said they hadn't seen her. Like, the last day everybody seen her was the last day I seen her. And I'm like, man, something's just not right. It was so alarming because I was the only one losing my mind. I was the only one just I was going to lose my mind, Gus, I'm telling you, because I couldn't find her. And I just, the way she looked at me, that just stuck with me. Like, I just wanted to come home and talk to her like I'm back. You know what I'm saying? I knew she would be happy. Everything was just so wrong at the time and suspicious. And nobody was looking for her, Gus, I promise you. I was the only one. Nobody was looking for her. It was to the point. They was trying so hard to shut me up. Like, it was nothing that they could do because I was just losing my mind without her looking for her. And I'm asking my mama every day, like, days is going by now. Days is going by. Mind you, school starts September 4th or whatever. So I'm like, by September, I was losing it, and I was looking everywhere. I had my friends looking for her, my other family. And I started to be vocal to my other family that she missing because nobody even knew that she was gone. So I was just asking my mom, like, you know, did you put a missing person's report out? At this point, we need to call the police. We need some help. We need to find her. Police later revealed no report was ever made. One thing that seemed to be an issue in the household was Brianna's gender identity, sexuality, and the way she dressed. It's believed Brianna was gay, but she wasn't explicitly open about it. Brianna was required by her mother and grandmother to dress as a girl while in the house. Brianna was wearing masculine clothes when she died. I mean, it was obvious how they treated her. I mean, you know, like, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. That was that was a really, really big deal. That was not a small issue. But the problem centered on more than just Brianna's fashion sense. Cynthia Sharp told police her granddaughter would steal her money and eat up all the food in the house. Sabrina said Brianna at times got violent, stole a necklace from her room, and at one point broke out a window. A couple months after Brianna got back to Detroit, Sabrina contacted a juvenile center that provided her information for a boot camp and psychological counseling. Tension was certainly building inside the home. Malika Sharps, Brianna's aunt, ended up taking care of her for a few weeks that summer and returned her to her mother's house a couple weeks before she died. Malika said the stress of Brianna wearing boys' clothes and potentially stealing Damien Henderson's clothes, as well as suspicions that she was gay, 
was part of the reason that Brianna left the home during that period. It didn't phase me none. My whole thing was, Brianna, is if that's if you will need some clothes, let us know. Then that's when I said my little brother stepped in like, well, if the problem is she, he will keep wearing her clothes, we'll buy her clothes. And that's what we did. And that was the end of that. In 2017, Deja and I took a ride to the apartment complex where Brianna died. The topic of the clothes again came up. I had crime scene photos of Brianna's body, and for some reason, Deja wanted to see them. Is it any way that I could see the clothes and not anything else? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, have to, uh, uh, like, I can crop the, the, bad, like, the bad part off so you can just see the clothes. What's the bad part? This part up? Yeah, because she had been there a little while. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to see him, though. Up to you. I'm not going to tell you you can. It's your sister. But I'm just saying, if it were me, it might be difficult to see that if it was my loved one, you know? I just want to see what she was wearing, really. She had uh, just a sports bra. Do you want me to show it to you right now? Yeah. If you, like, can't you put the cover on? Yeah, like, I can the, cover it up. Can you cover it up, please? Her hands are, um, like, black. It looks like it in this picture. She does look pregnant. Think so? You don't see. Any. I mean, I see it, but. You don't see abs, do you? Do you see abs? Okay. All I, my sister will have a six pack. I've not a six pack. Plus, I've been pregnant before. I have a son. As time went on, the idea that Brianna was pregnant when she died is stuck with Deja. The baggy clothes, she thinks, may have been more than just a fashion statement. This is her talking about it in April of this year. I do remember her telling me, though. That she was throwing up, like, I feel like she was giving me all the hints, but I don't even know if she knew, honestly, you know? Because she was just like, oh, I've been sick, I've been throwing up, I can't, you know, I can't keep my food down. She was wearing a big clothes, like, her clothes were so big. While the possibility that Brianna was pregnant came up in multiple police documents, no one ever checked. That would have solved the case if they had checked for that. They would have solved their case. That's Nathaniel Biles, the longtime boyfriend of Brianna's grandmother, Cynthia Sharp. He also rejects the idea that Brianna committed suicide. I don't believe it was a suicide. She had a real outgoing personality, and she wasn't afraid of anything. You know, if she had a problem, she could figure it out. But she was a beautiful child. She, she was beautiful. The police dropped the ball. The Detroit police and the state police, they, they dropped the ball on the outtops. Myself and a photographer recently interviewed Malika Sharps, Brianna's aunt, and drove to the site of Brianna's death. Hi, my name is Malika. I just wanted to let you know that while we was around the house taking pictures, my niece was found here murdered some years back, and we're doing a follow-up story. So I didn't want you to be alarmed with us walking around the property. Oh, no, you're fine. Okay. Now, so finally, you know, this is where, because I never knew, because every year, you know, it's like you want to burn a candle, you know what I'm saying, or send off a balloon, but it was never like nowhere. Where did y'all find her? We never knew nothing. Serena never said nothing. She still never said nothing. To this day, I would have never known if y'all would never even told me. I'm still thinking it's an open, open case. I didn't know they closed it as a fucking suicide. I don't think my niece walked all the way over here and just pulled down a fucking window and just wrapped a cord around her neck and hung herself. I don't know. 
I don't believe that. I never believe it, and I still don't believe it to this day. How would she even know this was empty? Out of all these apartments over here. I was wondering where we was going when we walked back here. I thought we was about to go back over here somewhere. How would she know this unit was empty? No. Somebody knows something. Somebody knows something. And if my whole thing is, I just want the question answered. Why did nobody do nothing? Why did nobody never make a police report? Why did it take four years? Her daddy had to do something all the way from Texas to find out. And then why would you be avoiding his calls? Why would you be spending him? Why wouldn't you just say, oh, well, she ran away or I don't know where she at. You know what I'm saying? He could have came up here looking for her anything or did exactly what he did. Got in touch with the state police like he did from Texas. You here. You could have did that. I'm just saying make it make sense. It's it just not making sense. And it's not going to ever make sense. Brianna's father, sister, aunt, and others have learned to live with the frustrating unanswered questions of the young girl's death. They hope telling Brianna's story to the world, at the very least, will make the pain of not knowing a little easier to deal with. It's been 14 years. I've asked so many questions and I've talked to so many people and I, I know what I need to know. It is nothing that can convince me otherwise because God has not already showed me. Everything I pray for in this situation, I got except for justice for her, you know, because I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know. That's different. So I want everybody to know what actually happened to her. Justice. That's something that Brianna never received. Not in life, not in death. Regardless of how Brianna died, the system, institutions, her family, and the world fails her. And nobody reported her. And nobody asked questions. And that's why we don't know to this day. So, you know, life changed so much, like drastically after Brianna, you know, after everybody knew she was dead, okay? Not just, you know, whoever knew, but after everybody knew. My family is very distant. Like, people, you know, don't get along. We don't come together anymore. It's like a, it's like a dark cloud. It's just too late. But it's never too late to share Brianna's story. Brianna's legacy is a sad one. Her memory is, for the most part, reduced to occasional social media posts and the small memorial in her father's home featuring a collage of Brianna pictures in a frame inscribed with the words, Greatest of these is love. Nearby is the wooden box that contains his daughter's ashes. On her birthday last year, Sabrina Sharp posted to Facebook, Happy 26th birthday. Miss you, baby girl. Kiss my granny for me. You're always on my mind, forever in my heart, and I miss you every day. On Brianna's birthday in 2016, Leonard Cobb posted to Facebook an old picture of him laying on his side with his arm around Brianna. She looks to be about five, wearing a plaid red dress with pink barrettes in her hair. She's smiling so hard her gums are showing. Her eyes look shiny with excitement and happiness. She looks so positive, eager, hopeful, and happy. It's a stark contrast to the last photos ever taken of her, lying dead on those stairs in Detroit. Next to the picture of Brianna as a child, Leonard posted another picture of his then-newborn baby girl, Brianna's sister, Lael. Leonard wrote, Today has been a roller coaster for me. Yes, I'm happy to say that baby Lael's three months old on this day, but I'm also heartbroken to say that my oldest daughter, Brianna Quiche Sharp, would have turned 21 today. For those that knew her, 
Thanks for loving and accepting her, despite her flaws. Thank you for giving us everything we ever needed. And to my second family in San Antonio, thanks for always being there and never giving up on her. To know her was my heart's joy. I can still hear her laughing at her own corny jokes. The only thing she wanted to do in this life was play basketball. So I hope she's playing every day, wherever in heaven that is. I miss you every day, and I love you more than life itself. I'll see you again one day, your number one fan, Dad. Brianna has now been dead for longer than she was ever alive. It's hard. It's hard to think about what she might be like today because I believe that she would have changed so much, you know, in 14 years. I don't think she would have been the same, you know, person, but I do think that she would be thriving and, and, and living a a good, happy, successful life. I always seen that for her. Brianna's father, sister, and aunt, if nothing else, want to save Brianna's story from fading into oblivion, as it largely has until now. Her life wasn't in vain. They want the world to know that. If she took her own life, they're sorry. If Brianna was killed, they want her killer to know that though they may never face a jury or jail, they must silently face the lonely reality of what they've done. The Detroit police have made it clear. This case is closed. Brianna's story is a single case, a single injustice, but there are many more. Lessons can be learned. The mystery surrounding the young girl's death wasn't necessary. People have to care. Police officers, medical examiners, mothers, even journalists. Why wasn't Brianna reported missing? Why didn't the Detroit police pursue the investigation a little further? If the medical examiner performed an autopsy, a rape kit, or DNA collection, why is there no record of it? If one or more of those steps had been taken, it's possible so many tears and sleepless nights could have been avoided. We might know for certain whether Brianna hung herself or someone took her life. Instead, Brianna's loved ones remain in a frustrating limbo they've been forced to accept. It's the only way to move forward. But they still wonder, will Deja ever know what happened to her best friend and sister? Will Malika ever truly know what happened to her niece? And for the rest of his life, will Leonard be haunted by that unanswered question? What happened to Brianna? Everything about who I am today is because of you. I miss you. I love you. You are important. You meant something to someone. You meant everything to me. You have a sister now. She talks about you. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> and she, she doesn't even know you. She feels your presence because you are with me always. I'm so sorry. I let you down. Thank you for joining us as we explored the story of Brianna Sharp. With so many unanswered questions, it's unlikely Gus will stop thinking about her life and her death anytime soon. If you have information in this case, Gus can be reached at fburns at mlive.com. That's F as in Foxtrot, B-U-R-N-S at mlive.com. 
If you value the hard work of journalists like Gus, consider becoming an MLive subscriber at MLive.com slash subscribe. If you or someone you know is in a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, the new shortened nationwide number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. That's right, 988, just three numbers. While you have reached the end of this season of Michigan Crime Stories, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you'll be alerted in the event that we do have an update on Brianna's case or when we release new episodes or seasons on other crime stories in our state. Thanks again for listening.